Hello and welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from OnShot.net. Episode 34, Change Infant's Structure. Hello, you're very welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from OnShaw.net. My name is Simon Lewis. Um, Have you ever wondered why Ireland is one of the few countries in the world where formal primary education starts so young? Um, It's at the age of five on average, um, or even lower. I mean, there's plenty of four-year-olds that start primary school. That's um, a big difference to the six or seven-year-olds that start school in almost every other country in the world. Of course, you won't be surprised to hear that we have to blame the British for that fact. In fact, the only countries where kids start school aged five or younger are all current British territories, or in our case, former territories like Australia and, of course, ourselves. Everywhere everywhere else in the world, it's either six or seven. And in fact, lots of countries who used to be part of the Commonwealth have shifted the start of primary education to an older age, obviously because it makes sense. In this episode, I'd not only suggest that we do just that, I'll also give some thoughts on what it would look like. So if I were the Minister for Education, I would restructure and change the way we do infant education. If you think about it, One of the things that's slightly confusing about the Irish primary education system is how we actually talk about the makeup of classes. We all know in Ireland that it's an eight-year programme consisting of junior infants, senior infants, first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth and sixth class. But I mean, did you ever think, why does it not just start in first class, the first class? I mean, the amount of um, people that try and enrol in my school um, um, and and basically they could have their four-year-old enrolled in uh, try to enroll their kid in first class because they perceive or assume that first class is indeed the first class you would go to um is is not is not a small number and i want does anybody wonder why do we actually have this junior infants and then senior infants um set up before you actually go on to your first year your first class Um, So the first year of primary school is junior infants rather than first class. So why is that? Well, as most most of us know anyway, most listeners to this show will know first class is actually our third year of primary school. But we also have these two infant years, junior infants and senior infants, the first two years of primary school. So I guess why do we have it? (laughs) Well, naturally, I suppose... You know why not let's blame the british again um, and in fact that is actually true we are going to blame the british and in it goes all the way back to 1902 when ireland was still part of the british empire infant classes were actually added to the primary education system for under sevens and in urban schools um basically what the, what you had you before 1902 you had infant schools and then you had primary schools and in 1902 they sort of brought infant classes into um, primary schools uh, so you had an infant education so you usually had one year of infant uh, classes and then you had uh, your year one year two um, but in urban schools so bigger schools um, sometimes there was a lot of infant kids so what they did is they divided them into two classes now while in Britain structures changed um, in time to having one um, of these year groups that's reception year so the first year you go into primary school in Britain 
uh, or certainly in England, uh, maybe not in, not in the full of Britain, in England anyway, um, you will have a reception class. Then you'll move on to year one, year two, year three, all the way to year six, I think it is, in primary school in Britain. But in Ireland, for some reason, we kept the two infant classes, junior infants and senior infants. Now, despite the fact that kids don't actually have to start school until the year they turn six, pupils can actually start any time they hit the age of four. So junior infant classes can be a big mix um, of children ranging from a very, very young four-year-olds, kids that have just turned four in September, to very old five-year-olds, kids that are just on the verge of six. And in fairness, the difference between them can be very easy to spot. I mean, I mean can you imagine your if you have children, think of what they were like when they just turned four, just finished being a toddler, to when they were just around, just before the age of six. I mean, they're a very, very different natural progression in terms of their um, maturity and in terms of what they're able to do. But a lot of these children are in the same classes of junior infants all the way up uh, through to sixth class. Um, now, and, and I would say even more than that, um, over the last decade or so, um, there's been a lot of children being delayed going into primary schools. So while you do have your odd four-year-old going in, mainly you've got uh, older uh, five-year-olds because of the second year of the um, early childhood um, system. Um, but at the same time, we, we have this problem. But on top of all this, I, I don't know if people have noticed this, if you've been teaching a long time, children entering primary school seem to be much less ready for formal schooling. Um, and that's... That's an interesting development because I guess um, formal schooling would have started in junior infants uh, back in the day where every kid had to sit down in, and I suppose at the time it was in rows and you got down to book work and everything else. That's not expected anymore um, and children are much less ready for that um, and no matter what age they go into primary school really. Um, and I guess that's possibly why something called Ashter came along in 2009 that's over a decade ago at this time of the recording and i'll talk more about ashter in a, in a minute or two because there's another weird twist to our education system it, preschool and um, we have a sort of developed preschool system in in ireland and um, but the weird twist to this uh, preschool system is the fact that it's not even part of the department of education's remit and this leads to all sorts of anomalies um, despite the fact that Ashter is a framework, right, which is supposed to be shared between preschools and primary schools. Now, this is something I want to talk about. Um, first of all, I want to explain what Ashter is to those of you who might not be part of the Irish education system. Um, Ashter is an Irish word because every single scheme and every single framework and every single thing that goes into primary schools needs to be given an obscure Irish name, which is somewhat linked to what it's trying to do. Um, it doesn't really matter what Ashter means, it's just what this framework is called. And this framework is uh, supposed to, um, I suppose, encompass everything that one is supposed to do um, with children from the age of zero to the age of six. It's a framework for pre and preschool and the first couple of years of primary school. And it has a lot of, uh, loads of, I mean, it's a huge big booklet. Um, and I, I, I want to talk a little bit about its rollout in primary education uh, in a while. Um, it does seem, though, to me anyway, and, and I, I have a small bit of knowledge of this just from, my, um, from, from talking to preschools around the country, 
um, and and from my own child's experience of preschool, it does seem that preschools did take on Aster very much as it was supposed to. Um, and from my experience of, I mean, basically talking and being at courses and speaking to teachers again around the country in primary schools, of course, we didn't take it on as it was supposed to. And I want to look at this as one of my main arguments for this episode, because this episode isn't actually about Aster. This episode is about what do we do with infants? And I'm trying to argue that we should basically get rid of infants uh, from primary schools uh, in, uh, in some ways. I'll, I'll explain it. I'll explain better in, in a while. Um, but basically what I want to do is I want to absorb infant education to preschool. So basically what I want to do is I want to scrap, I want to start primary school in first class as it probably should. Um, so what I'm trying to do is I'm either going to, I think infant education should be absorbed into preschool or early education needs to be absorbed into the education system or both. Um, so in other words, I think we need to follow the lead of the rest of the world and not actually start formal schooling until children reach the year of their seventh birthday. That's first class. And before then, junior and senior infants should become part of an early year setup from zero to six years of age. And yes, while I know this would mean lots and lots of changes to our education structure, there are ways that it could be done easily um, enough. And I'll be arguing now how this could be done. So as I said, I didn't want to explain a huge amount about Ashtar. I think, I mean, I've done enough really. I'm not going to spend a huge amount of time going through the history of it. I don't think the history of it's that interesting and I don't even think it's that controversial. However, there is one fairly controversial aspect to it all and I think it's utterly mad. Um, I've told you uh, earlier on that Astor came in in 2009 and it actually surprised me that um, at this time of the recording it is 10 years old this year. 10 years! That's mad, I think. And, but, but ultimately, here's the controversial bit for me. Despite the fact that Ashtar is 10 years old, we still actually haven't had any proper training in it, in my opinion. Granted, Ashtar was released into the wild in 2009, just, just in time for the country to go absolutely bankrupt. And it was claimed that there just simply wasn't any money to roll out training in the way the training usually would have been rolled out. So basically, what we got were these mini talks at various conferences. So I would have gone to a couple of principal conferences and for an hour the people who wrote Ashtar would have come to the um, to the conference to give you some sort of small presentation on basically um, what Ashtar was and uh, a few bits and pieces but nothing um, nothing that could, could, could really be told as, as training um, do you know and it gave a bit of a summary of it but nothing as I said nothing to get it really put in place um, and the government basically then passed on the training to P the PDST, which is totally normal. Um, whenever a new scheme or a framework or something like that comes into, into place, generally the government will pass it on to the PDST, which is a, the professional de development, um, I suppose, wing of the Department of Education. But this is where things began to unravel for me. Now, you won't be surprised to hear that I... I I find the PDSC pretty good, generally. I mean, I, I, fair play to them. I mean, they, they, they have a very tough job. They basically have to sell whatever message the government wants to send 
and they have to and they basically have to do it through training and they have to believe everything they say even if they don't believe it and they effectively what they're doing is i i i, I used to i suppose and i see this a lot at, at, at various training things people shouting at the pdst trainers i mean they're just cogs in a wheel they're they're they're, they're, they're they 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 have no power over what happens in a in in the course they're basically told by somebody else to basically give the uh, give information to teachers and they're not allowed to have an opinion. They, they're, they're, they just give the information. They're a cog, basically. But anyway, as I said, it's a decent setup. Um, and this is, this is how it all works, right? You have the experts that write the, um, the, the course. So in this case, Ashtra was written by researchers, um, the most famous of which, I suppose, Noreen Hayes, uh, would have been the, one of the people behind Ashtra. Now, she would have passed on the information to professional trainers okay so these are these aren't necessarily teachers maybe they are teachers some of them are some of them aren't uh, but they're they're generally um adult trainers they're 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 people uh, that um effectively are able to train teachers or train people uh, not necessarily teachers in anything that's put in front of them so um the people who invented Aster would have gone to these um uh, training um training seminars for these trainers and these trainers would train teachers who would apply to become PDST tutors so these teachers are PDST tutors and they're just I mean sorry this sounds bad they're run-of-the-mill teachers they're enthusiastic teachers okay let's put it that way they they may not have any particular qualifications uh, in the in the area of early childhood education when it comes to uh, Ashter they they they're just enthusiastic it's really hard um, to get people to become PDST tutors and um, sometimes for the reason that they get, just get shouted at sometimes because it isn't the most exciting um, experience in the world you have to travel around the country giving the same message every day um, um, to, to other teachers but basically they are PDST teachers are just regular teachers who are who are put out there to train other teachers now the professional trainers train them and give them the slides um, and give them the things they have to say to the other teachers. Now, obviously, the original experts can train every single teacher in the country, obviously. Um, that makes no sense. Um, so it does make sense to have a system like this, that the experts' knowledge is passed down the line. So the training can get to every single one of the thirty or 40,000 teachers in the country. But the problem with this method, and it's, while I totally understand how it has to be, is, is I suppose... It's a problem maybe like Chinese whispers in a way. As things go down the line, messages get messed around. And one of my problems in a way is with the PDST tutor uh, uh, bit. Um, and and let, let's just look at Ashter, okay? So people like Noreen Hayes comes up with a framework. It's perfectly researched, excellent. Uh, we look at the preschools, they're, they've taken on perfectly and uh, children are um, playing. Uh, basically they're using uh, play-based um, learning in order to develop their education at preschool level okay now it's handed down to an agency the PDST who probably have zero knowledge of the framework okay more or less I mean they, they get the idea they're educationalists probably and um, so these um this agency tries to pass down this information that they get to their teacher trainers the PDST tutors that's okay that's fine that's okay enough now the first time this happens, they pass on the information, even though they don't really know the information very well. They just pass on because they're given the slides, they're given what they have to say, they're given some training, pretty good training in fairness. Um, however, they do say to the teacher trainers, so the, the PDST tutors, that they can't deviate from the information, so that's good too. So the tutors then go off to the teachers and tell them all this information. Good. 
then the problem actually begins. This is where I think the problem is. The teachers who are receiving information from the tutors give their feedback about the training, and then this is fed back again to the trainers. Now, this feedback isn't always grounded in research. It's grounded in instant reaction, generally. And it's the sort of thing you hear at every teacher training module, okay? Things like, ah, sure you're doing this already, or that'll never work in a class of 56,000 children, or whatever people say, there's 35 children, 40 children, or whatever number people kind of decide to go with, um, or what all those kind of things, or hmm, that's not, that, that's not gonna work, <laughs> I'm only one person, how can you share me around all these children? Sure, we have to have some sort of control over the, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. But anyway, the teachers of the training might ask good questions, of course, but the teacher trainers aren't allowed to deviate from the script and they're forced to say things like, I hear what you're saying and we'll definitely feed that back. And in fairness, they actually do feed it back. And that's, and what happens next is the big problem for me. It's the feedback sessions. And this, these happen between the head trainer and the teacher trainers, the PDS tutors and the PDST. And either of these cohorts have the academic research done. So what happens is that the feedback given is collated, right? And some of the feedback that's given is probably from the tutors themselves in their own classrooms who are trying to implement this research. And decisions are made about the content of the feedback and the course is then tweaked. And then sometimes the tweaking is fine, but other times it's actually totally irresponsible. However, there's no checking with the research that the proposed changes are actually good practice. And then all of a sudden, over time, a kind of a bastardized version of the original research becomes practice based on well-meaning but unresearched feedback. And for me, Ashter is one of those things. And this is, this is, I suppose, what happens when you don't provide adequate funding for training, because that's what's kind of happened. We had a bunch of well-meaning people who kind of gave their feelings, um, I'm gonna say feelings, feelings on how Ashter could really work in a primary school, because you know it's all well and good having this framework, but in reality, we can't really do everything that's in it. So the most famous one of, one of those was, that there's this general agreement that Ashtar should be for one hour a day in school. I mean, where does this come from? I mean, if you read the Ashtar framework, you'll actually note it's not mentioned at all. I mean, I, I mean where, where it came from was the PDST, because they must have all sat in a hotel conference room getting their feedback from their teachers, and someone or some people who were probably struggling with Ashtar themselves asked, how long should we be doing this Ashtar for every day? You know, we have to cover the rest of the curriculum. Do you know, I mean, we can't, we can't kind of do Ashtar all day, like, you know, how, how, how are we going to do the maths and the, and the English and the Irish and the religion and all that kind of stuff? And lo and behold, Ashtar became a subject. It isn't a framework now, it's a subject. And it's, it's collectively now agreed across the country to be one hour a day. No, no, it's, it's no wonder, to be honest, Noreen Hayes doesn't stand over the, doesn't stand over Ashton in primary schools anymore. Proper training never happened, and the PDST have simply watered what was very good practice down. And the problem is, it isn't just that. You know, rumours from these training courses spread to things like education forums, like education posts, and all of a sudden there's an agreed way, a perceived agreed way to do Ashters, or to do Ashter. You know, there's lots of things. I mean, the one hour a day thing isn't, um, isn't the only thing. I mean, basically teachers have been left to their own devices to sort of try and figure it out because training, even though it was invented in 2009, I don't think there was any training really for a few years. And then mad stuff started happening, like trying to shoehorn the Astro framework into other things, like teaching stations, for example. 
Um, so you, in Astra, you've got all these various stations, fair enough, like we can call them stations, but they're not teaching stations in the way that teachers think about what stations are. So if you can go into any infant classroom in the country today, you're actually going to find that t children are timetabled on rotas for different stations instead of being given free choice. If you go into Twinkle, which is a website um, where teachers can print out um, basically resources, you'll actually find that because they've a, they actually have a, a section dedicated to Irish resources, you'll actually have rotas for Astor now. Um, do you know? And when it should be free choice, you'll find mad stuff as well in these stations, like worksheets. I mean, when did worksheets become play? Um, anyway, I could go on. However, in effect, Ashter, in reality, in primary schools, is not the Ashter that was designed back by the research and the framework. If we contrast that to preschools, they seem to have adopted the model fairly easily. So if you walk into any preschool and children are given free choice of the activities, there are no rotas and no worksheets. The assessments use the Ashter framework documents. It all just seems to be happening without any fuss. So what's actually different? Why did the preschools take on Ashter in the way it should have been done? And why did teachers, why did primary schools not take on Ashter the way it should be done? And I guess, to be fair to ourselves, we actually have 11 subjects to cover in the curriculum in about 17 hours of instruction in, in, in infant classes. I mean, when are we going to teach the letter sounds? I mean, four-fifths of the maths curriculum uh, has to be taught um, outside of Ashter, um, possibly, and all the rest of the subjects, including Irish and religion. Try drawing them in Ashter. And in fairness, we haven't been given any proper guidance on how we should teach the full curriculum through the framework of Ashter. So it's no surprise that we, as a profession, basically have to wing it somewhat in order to try and cover everything in an irrational fear of an inspector walking into our classroom and murdering us before painting the walls of the corridor with our blood and sticking our heads on spikes outside the school so other teachers will live in fear of an incidental or something like that. I don't, I don't know, but I mean, we, we, we seem to wing things and not kind of demand proper proper training what we do is we try and we try and pretend everything's okay and we kind of wing it and talk about it in online forums and and somehow come up with this weird version of it in fairness it wasn't a massive leap for preschools to move to a actual framework it just structured the play a little more in primary schools it was a much bigger jump and in fairness to us i mean i know i've it sounds like I've been giving out about teachers. I'm not actually giving out about teachers. I totally understand how this would have happened, um, you know, given that, you know, something is dumped on us and we're just to expect it to just do it. Um, I can see how you would, you know, given that the, the time constraints that we have, how that could possibly happen. Um, I, in fact, if, if I was an infant teacher, I would probably have done, uh, you know, some of the same things. I'm not really sure. But look, basically, the rollout of Astra was a total mess. I think we can all agree on that. And given that a decade has now passed since it was introduced, all the bad practices that are now, uh, that, are, that have happened are pretty much now cemented, okay? I mean, if you were to kind of say, okay, 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 I'm the Minister for Education now, I know, I've kind of, I'm sorry, I've sort of neglected the whole Astra thing, let's come back and fix it. Um, do you know, to be honest with you, I, I, I don't think it could happen. Even if I had another episode, if, if I were the Minister for Education, and I was saying I'd be scrapping Astra and starting it again, I don't think I'd succeed. Too, it's too long has gone on, 10 years has gone on, and the, the, the bad practices that are, are, are going on right now are so cemented, it will be very, very difficult to change them. Um, but anyway, however, this episode is not um, 
about Ashtar. Um, this episode is about what I would actually do with infants in general. And actually, to be honest, what I would do with infants in general would solve that problem of Ashtar in primary schools anyway. So in a way, I've stopped talking about Ashtar um, completely. And what I will do is I'll move on. And to solve the problem of infants, if there is a problem, I mean, many of you didn't realise there was a problem with infants, but ultimately the fact that children are starting school too early is the problem. And they're ex- and in infants now, particularly, and uh, particularly with Ashtar, we're now expected to do a kind of a <clears throat> both Ashtar style classroom and a primary school style classroom in very little time. And it's actually an impossible ask. And so my solution is fairly simple. And that would be basically to say goodbye to infants in primary schools and join preschool and infants into a new early years program. That's kind of my solution, really. It's my, if I were the Minister for Education, that's what I'd be doing. So effectively, the education system would work out in the following manner. You'd have a preschool system for zero to six-year-olds. Primary school would now start from about six, six-ish to about 12 or 13. And then second level would start to about 13 till about 18 years old before you go into third and uh, level and beyond. Now, I can't find the information anywhere, but it does seem that the UK did something like a compromise when it came to their system. Um, and, and this is what I can't find the year. I mean, it seems that it happened insofar as reception seems to not be actually part of the primary school system officially. It seems to officially be the final year of early years, but it seems to take place in primary schools. So in effect, it's their junior infants, um, if that makes sense. So I'm looking at this. So I guess what the UK did was they... Um, they, they made the final year of early years happen in a primary school. And even if you look at the curriculum, it seems that England anyway, at least, has a mixed up early years sort of primary thing going on, but only for one year as opposed to two years in my, um, in, 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 in my country, in Ireland. Um, and um, anyway, this would obviously have major implications if, you, if we removed infants out of the primary education system. I mean, if we reduced it from an eight-year program to a six-year program, it would mean a 25% decrease in the need for primary school teachers. Eek, I hear you say. Although eek is probably um, is probably a minor word. I, I would imagine your word. You see, this podcast doesn't swear, but um, I imagine um, your your words may be stronger than that. Um, but that's not actually where I'm going with this. I don't think um, we need to lose any teachers. Actually, I'd argue the opposite. In fact, the main argument I have is that I would take the entire early years sector and put it, take it out of the umbrella of the Department of Children and put it under the umbrella of the Department of Education. And I would amalgamate all preschools with infant classes and create infant schools or early years schools. And every single one of the people working in these early years schools will be trained as and paid as teachers specialising in early education. They will be early education teachers. In other words, I would have two new degrees. Early education, which would qualify you to teach or work in schools where children would be aged zero to six, and then primary education, where you'd be qualified to teach children or work with children aged six to 13. Now, early year settings would be taken out of these converted houses. I mean, if you look at any early year setting, they tend to be in early in converted houses and estates. Like there's some deal, I think, that was made that if you built a housing estate, one, uh, you had to make provision for a preschool or something like that, or a creche. Um, so basically, builders just join two houses into a one house sometimes. And, um, you know, they all look like houses rather than um, early year settings. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, they're, I don't think they're particularly appropriate. Um, I mean, I mean not, not too different from uh, primary schools. Most primary schools aren't really appropriate for their needs anymore. But anyway, 
they'd be taken out of their converted houses and estates and they'd be placed on school campuses or at least be built near uh, their respective primary schools. So ultimately, children from birth would be getting looked after and educated by people who would be well paid and well qualified. Oh, I wonder what would happen if that if that, that happened. I know a country where they pay their teachers well and they're very well qualified. Hmm, what is it? Oh, it's Finland again. Let's, uh, let's, let's probably not mention Finland in an episode for once. Anyway, infants would simply be a continuation of preschool with the Astra framework built into it. So basically, infants would be in preschool and the entire infant's uh, day would be an Astra kind of would have Astor framework built into it. And once they finished this earlier setting, they would move to big school, in inverted commas, in the equivalent of first class. So the first year of primary school would now, quite rightly, I think, be first class. However, the further beauty of this model is that all children entering first class would be the same age for the first time, the year of their seventh birthday. There would be less than 12 months at maximum between them. And this would have great advantages, as the age range between children would be much smaller. Now, how, how does this happen? Um, well, if you start preschool um, at age three, you're in with all the three-year-olds, the toddlers. If you start preschool at age one, you're with the wobblers. If you're, I think they're wobblers, isn't it? I can't remember. Um, and then when you're four, you go in with the four-year-olds, the five-year-olds. So you actually start your preschools. Um, at, in, your, in the same age so basically when you get primary school you basically get pumped into the right room I guess rather than you start at the start in preschool you start with your age appropriate uh, class um, so basically I know um, before I go on I do realise that um, age is not the only criteria for success in schools like if you're six you should be with six year olds if you're eight you should be with eight year olds I know there's big arguments against that but look in the majority of cases that's kind of it is the advantage to be to have everyone in the class around the same age it also gives big opportunities for any learning needs to be caught caught during preschool and appropriate interventions being ready for when the child actually starts primary school around the age of seven because by this stage any child with a reasonably obvious learning need or additional need could be identified it's very unlikely that someone by the age of seven uh, in first class if they has if they have a need it hasn't been tweaked twigged uh, by um, by by the end of infants, so I think I think that makes a lot of sense. There are other things, of course. Infant classrooms shouldn't look like the older classrooms anyway any, uh, anymore. If we're actually serious about doing infant education properly, and um, so the classrooms in primary schools are firstly not big enough, and secondly not shaped the right way or designed the right way. So in a way, if we're going to do infant education, if we didn't move infants out of primary schools. Um, we'd actually have to convert all our infant classrooms into better spaces that would be more appropriate for uh, infant education. So this could leave some schools with empty corridors or empty classrooms. However, again, I'd argue this isn't necessarily the case because it gives us opportunities again to simplify our school system. And here's some ideas depending on different schools' contexts, okay? We have some empty rooms in a school. Well, one obvious solution could it could be used for pre and after school care i mean if you have a couple of uh, one room that's free or two rooms that are free um use them for after school care or preschool care i mean early year settings actually have this already in place if you go to any um preschool or uh, early early childhood setting the only way a lot of them can survive is to do pre and after school care because they're businesses after all at the moment um and in order to make any money they need to um 
extend what they do so they actually have um after school clubs and that's usually takes place in rooms or areas um which uh, which which um are reserved for that for, for that so basically there's no reason this can't be done in primary schools either it also solves that problem where um i think richard bruton a few years ago when he was the minister wanted classrooms to be used after school for uh, after school care and there was a lot of um well there was very little noise from the people who should have made noise but uh teachers um basically challenged uh if richard bruton gave up his office for after school care maybe we think uh we we think about doing the same thing um but anyway another possible idea would be to amalgamate two schools that are near each other and the smaller of those two buildings could be converted into a proper early year setting so the classrooms would change uh physically to be uh, more suitable to infants um, and early years and this would mean that all the rooms um, that would have been lost in the primary school without infants basically they would take in children from the other school and then another building basically could be repurposed for an earlier setting so basically what we have is you take two schools join them together one becomes an infant school um, or an early year setting and the other one becomes a primary school so what you're doing is you're, the children you lose you get back um, from, uh, from from the from the system um, I think that's a possible option. Take small schools, for example, that's an idea for small schools, but if you amalgamate a number of small schools, empty buildings could be used uh, to design earlier centres. Um, again, if you've got schools that sit next to each other, for example, girls and boys schools, they could amalgamate and the early years could be done in one building um, or in another part of the building or whatever it might be. And again, you got the same thing. So basically what we're doing is we're taking two schools, joining them together, making one an infant school, making one a, a primary school, and basically you won't have the problem of empty rooms, let's say. In some big schools, of course, building works might be required, but a full corridor or two corridors could be created for early years and the rest of the school used for primary. So they could all use the same building. Now, before I go on, I deliberately, did you see my sandwich technique? I used the word amalgamate in between um, the, the first idea and the last idea because I know the word amalgamate makes, t uh, makes most teachers go, no, no. And the weird thing is, like, I don't I, number one, I don't really understand why amalgamate is such a dirty word in, in education. If, if it, it, the advantages um, of making uh, schools, um, I mean, be able to exist um, through amalgamation is, is actually popular. If you ever look at um, boys' schools and girls' schools that have amalgamated, it's only been positive, really, to be honest with you. But anyway, I'll stick with a different word because maybe I'll go back to my episode 20, um, my July uh, 2019 uh, episode, episodes where um, I look at hubs again of early years in primary schools. Um, look, in this way, nothing is going to close and you're not going to lose any teachers, you're not going to lose anybody at all. However, while all of this on paper or on podcast, I guess, seems very easy to say. Doing it might actually be a bit fanciful. Um, in fairness, where are we going to get the money to do much of this? Um, but it doesn't need to be that hard. I mean, it does need money, fair enough, and a little bit of creative thinking, maybe. So the big thing that I would think of, it's actually time, the first big bit of creative thinking, it's not even creative, it's, it's, it's just thinking. It's, it's definitely time for the Department of Education to take responsibility for early years education and take it away from the Department of Children. And this means for me is, I just, I wouldn't scrap the Department of Children. I mean, you need the child protection sort of stuff, but I would expand, I would relegate, let's say, the Department of Children just to deal with that sort of thing. And I expand the Department of Education to involve early years education. Or what I would do maybe is I'd simply, let's use that word, amalgamate the Department of Children and the Department of Education and move people around to the various correct places. All preschools, would have to shut down as well and that could be very difficult for some people who've invested their businesses in it but they there would need uh, to be 
um, again, some sort of compensation thing. Um, I don't know what the word is, compensation schemes, or they could sell, or they could sell their um, their current premises to the government, and the government might run those centres. So again, um, it's not actually as difficult as that one might think, because I mean the Department of Education do this sometimes with private schools uh, when they convert over to public schools. Um, for example, Saplings and the Steiner schools in recent years did this. So for example, Saplings, for those of you who don't know, is this uh, kind of ABA. Uh, or was anyway was an ABA um, special school and um, the Department of Education in their lack of wisdom decided that they would um, um, take them on because basically they were losing money they had no money I mean they were f trying to fundraise to keep this thing going but the Department of Education basically said okay you can become uh, national schools special schools but you can't be ABA anymore and this caused all sorts of consternation but anyway that's not important. The important thing is that it was able to be done. Steiner schools also um, have come into the mix as public schools and they just have to promise to teach the curriculum. And effectively, whatever private, um, whatever uh, the building costs, the Department of Education pay the rent for those and so on and so forth. Anyway, all the early, basically all early years educate, uh, educators, um, so all early years educators are also going to have to change a little bit as well because some of them have degrees, some of them don't. Um, so the ones, uh, they would have to be given an option of further education if they didn't have the level 8 qualification needed um, to become, you know, qual as qualified as a teacher. Um, or they could decide to stay on in a lower pay grade, maybe it's an SNA role if they're at level 5 or, uh, or so. And um, I think it's, a, it's an, uh, something that people might think about. Again, it's been done before. Or even though this was a small scale. So for example, uh, tutors that were working in sapling schools uh, these were the people who were teaching, sort of, in uh, these schools, were given the opportunity to qualify as teachers through Hibernia College for free, or they could have their jobs converted into the role of, the S of an SNA, which is what happened in most cases. I think there was a limited number of uh, tutors that went on and qualified as teachers um, and um, got that paid for by the department. From a primary school perspective, teachers could also choose to be primary teachers or early years teachers. But the latter would need to get specialised in early years practice. This could be a free conversion course in the evenings or whatever, like, or whatever, or during the summer. Um, but similarly, I think current preschool teachers would need something similar to give them whatever they need to be to be a fully fledged early years teacher. You know, so there basically needs to be some sort of course uh, given and um, uh, to degree holding teachers and early years educators. Um, it's probably going to be the same course to make sure that you get how early years education works. After that, anyone wanting to enter the teaching profession will be able to choose from two different teaching courses, early years and primary. Now, in some ways, there will be some overlap between the courses, and then there will be some specialisms either in either one or the other. So this has implications for teacher training uh, centres, uh, so the providers of these courses. But again, it's really easily done with time. Um, I think uh, I recall when I was uh, training to be a teacher, um, you could qualify as an early years um, primary school teacher or a later year, older children, I can't remember what the word was, but it was for older kids. Um, and mainly you were in generally in the same courses for most of the time, but then you specialize certainly in early or um, the later years um, in the UK. So uh, something similar could be done uh, in Ireland. Anyway, once all this is in place, we'd actually transform the education system into something that actually might work quite well. 
all things being equal, really. We, we could have a properly funded public early years service for very young children with buildings designed for their needs. And we could also have primary schools that actually start in first class, where all pupils go home at the same time and resources can be better shared. I mean, how many schools actually have resources that only infants use? I'd say almost all of us. Finally, we'd also have to look at the curriculum. Except the thing is, we have it already. Would you believe we have a curriculum for primary schools and what would happen to infants? We have the Astor framework and at last it could be implemented properly. I've decided to stop telling you what's going to be on next week's show from now on. Um, I know this is terribly controversial, but the reason for this is that sometimes something massive happens in the education world in between episodes. And if I've already told you what the following episode is going to be, then it's going to be at least another week before I get to record it, if that makes sense. And that piece of news might kind of have passed, let's say, and it's and and, and maybe it, I've missed you know, the boat in terms of my own analysis of it. So for example, when I was planning this week's episode, a big study came out about technology in education. And um, I do uh, I, I do have a future episode already planned for this, but it won't, I mean, it, I hadn't planned on doing it for about a year. Um, and I mean, I have the, my notes uh, pretty much ready. Um, so basically, um, because in the previous episode that went online, it said I was going to be covering infant education, that's kind of what I had to do this week rather than covering the technology uh, bit, which, um, which I was hoping to, uh, which I think would have been better, let's say, for this week, given the news. So anyway, while it's very, very likely that I'll be covering technology next week, because I want to cover that, um, something might happen between now and then, and the episode will focus on that. So let's say, I don't know, um, something big on homework happens between the recording of this episode and the following week. I may cover homework then instead. Um, so anyway, that's, that's why I'm not going to tell you what's happening next week. Anyway, I hope you have enjoyed this episode and be sure to tune in every Wednesday morning just in time for your midweek slump. It's almost sure to get your blood boiling, even if you disagree with me or disagree with me. Uh, this podcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify or any other podcasting app. I use CastBox, by the way, which I quite like, um, by searching for either Onshaw.net or If I Were the Minister for Education. I'd really appreciate you subscribing to this podcast so each episode can be available to you immediately after its release. Uh, please, please, if you wouldn't, mind review this podcast give it five stars so others can find it more easily and um, i don't know I, I this episode i suppose in summary this is where i'm unscripted um it, it kind of made me think a little bit i mean i've always uh, I, I hadn't really thought too deeply about scrapping infant education uh, before i went into it but it does look like i mean there's the, the original reason for infant education just seemed to be um a kind of a British idea uh, that, that was only done uh, due to space restrictions by the sounds of things. So it wasn't, it's not like it's, it had a, a, a pedagogical reason to have infant education in primary schools. Um, so it was interesting to see how we could unravel that, especially now that infant education is, is I suppose, becoming more and more different to what happens after, uh, after children are finished in infant classes. And I do think um, with specialised staff, it could work very well. On, on top of that, we also have this messy um, preschool system, which is basically uh, run by entrepreneurs um, in, the, in the loosest possible sense of, the wor of that word. So, I mean, by actually taking every, all these bits into an education system, into the Department of Education, I actually think this 
is actually a decent idea. I'd love to hear your own thoughts on it. Um, as always, please uh, comment on our social media channels uh, about what you think of that. Anyway, until next week, thanks a million for listening and uh, hope to hear, uh, hope to see you next time. Thanks a million. Bye bye.